Jeff Roberts. I'm the missions and outreach pastor. Uh, pastor Carter is not with us this morning. If you uh, are on Facebook or if you are in the rumor mill or the phone tag mill, Preacher's House caught on fire last night. And uh, nobody was injured and it did some damage to the back of the house. And so as a result of a really late night, a lot of things going on, he asked me to fill in for him this morning. So if you would, pray for the Carter family. But do that after you pray for me. Um, start with me. It's all about me. No. Now pray for the Carter family. Pray for Preacher and Miss Tammy. And, you know, it's just, uh, just part, of, part of life. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. Why you go ahead and have a seat? I've got to figure out. I told Dustin that preaching is a lot like flying a plane. If you can get the takeoff good and the landing good, nobody really remembers the middle. So I've got to figure out how to get this thing taken off here. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Last week we talked about, uh, preacher talked about uh, what is your life. In James chapter 4, he discussed the, uh, the, the passage where James asked the question, what is your life? And you know, that's a, a, a great thing to, to contemplate this morning. People's lives are made up of so many different things. Some people, their life's made up all about thrills. It's just about when's the next good time coming. When's the next trip to Disney, right? Sick of that guy, his trips to Disney. When, when, is, you know, when is the next hobby going to be fulfilled? I remember for the longest time in my life, if I could just get a little bit better coon dog, I thought I'd be happy, right? It's all about thrills. When's the next trip to Gulf Shores? For some people, it's about theories, you know, they, they've, they've got things worked out in their mind about how it should go, and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to save this much money, and I'm going to retire by the time I'm 55, and you've got it all worked out according to this theory. But we talked about last week, what is your life? We asked some questions in Life Group last week about what's important to you, and what does it mean to you for your life to bring glory to the Lord? Well, this morning we want to go a little further with that. We want to look in Luke chapter 12 as the Lord addresses this very thing. I think about the grind of life. I think about how our weeks go. Wake up Monday morning, you go to work, and you just do everything you can to struggle through a Monday morning. There's not enough coffee for a Monday morning. Uh, you're just struggling to get to Tuesday, grinding it out till Wednesday. And boy, if you can get over that hump of Wednesday, you see Thursday, you duck and dodge through it. And man, if I can coast on through Friday and you're fortunate enough, you have the weekend off. And then maybe you can go to the lake or play golf or go to kids' ball games. And, and then Sunday, you're running five minutes late than what you probably ought to be most likely fighting with your spouse because it's her fault that you're running late. <laughs> Notice I said her. And uh, that's why my, my wife and I, the greatest, two, the greatest thing I think we ever did for our marriage is start driving separate cars. I mean, I, I really do like riding with her. I like being with her. And, and, uh, but, but, I mean, it, it, we had to do something. And I think it really salvaged our marriage. I probably won't tell these jokes in the next uh, uh, service because she'll be in here. But... <laughs> I could just tear her up in this service. But man, we just struggle through this grind of life. And Monday rolls around, we start all over again. And, and it, it becomes so, uh, such a routine, it becomes such a rut. I want to talk to you for just a little bit 
this morning about a life more enriched. In Luke chapter 12, looking at verse 35, it says, Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. And when he cometh, knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. And Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in the due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for your blessings, for your goodness to us. Lord, we ask you this morning to bless the Carter family uh, in their absence and the struggle and the situation that they're in. I pray, Lord, that you just put a special touch on their life. And Lord, this morning in this service, I pray that you would have free reign, that, that the things that are said would bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs to move in some way or another, I pray that you, the Holy Spirit, you would convict them Show them their need. In Jesus' name, amen. 1988, I was, uh, well, let me go back a little further than that. When I was in the ninth grade, I went to school at a, at a place, and it was a, uh, <clears throat> we had a, a, a fairly decent football team, but the hope, best hope we had was maybe a 6-4 and four season, and most likely it was going to be a 4-6 and six season. And we knew that going in, but we loved football because we lived in Texas, and Texas is really serious about high school football. And, uh, but in the 10th grade, I moved schools. I transferred. We went from, moved from one part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex to another, and that school was on a different program. Uh, we, we, that year, we went, uh, it was my sophomore year, we went 11 and 0 in the and or 10 and 0 in the regular season. Won the first couple of playoff games. Got beat in the state semifinals by the team that went on to win the state championship. But the great thing about it was, everybody on that team was coming back. And I remember the next year, when we showed up for two days, and I was at my school just recently on vacation, and I went to the school. And I, as you walked around the building, that like the gym to go up to the field house. Uh, we noticed there were several of us walking together. There was a glow, a light shining. It was before the sun had come up, about 5.30 in the morning. And there was a glow, and there was something there that is not normally there. And as we topped this hill, our coach had gotten this sign, one of those marquee signs that you can put the letters in, and it said, 1988 State Champions. Now, that was the 1988 season, and that was the first day of two-a-days, and that's what we were beginning right then. And what that was is it was a motivational thing. I remember a lot of, many, most days during that two-a-days, there was a thermometer outside of the door of our field house, and most of the time when we stepped out of that door, it was in triple digits. It was over 100 degrees, and this was back in the day, and we practiced in full pads, and we were lucky if we got one water break, and I can't believe more of us didn't die. But every time that I would think about is this really worth it? 
I'd think about that sign. Every time he'd blow that big, long whistle that Mitch had to get on the goal line, it was time to start running sprints. I thought, if I really want to do this, I could just walk on. There's nothing they can, nobody can make me do this. But I'd think about that sign. Every time we'd have to start doing up-downs where you have to hit the ground and stand, jump back up. And if you do about two or three of those, it's not that big a deal. 357 of them, it starts getting hard. And our coach was just a, he was a sadist. He loved it. And when I wanted to quit, I thought about that sign. That sign was very motivational to our entire team. Had a great year that year, went 13-0, and won the state championship. And I honestly believe that a great deal of it had to do with that sign because when we wanted to quit, we remembered why it was that we were doing what we were doing. When I look at a life more enriched in this passage, the first thing that I look at is in verses 35 through 40 where it talks about this servant that is looking. He's looking for the master. Can I tell you something this morning? I understand that our life is a grind, it's difficult, there are bills and responsibilities and jobs and children, but do you understand that our Savior is coming back? And if you need some motivation this morning, if you need something to encourage you this morning, you need to remember that He's coming back. And in a little acrostic that makes up the word life, the first thing, if we want to live a more enriched life, that we should do this, that we we should look for the return of the Savior. Because see what that is, is it's a motivation. It's going to change how you operate. It's going to affect your daily walk. It's going to affect what makes you get up in the morning. It's going to affect you when you want to quit. You won't think about the sign, you'll think about his return. You'll think about the fact that we'll meet him in the clouds someday, and it's going to change how you approach your life. L is for looking. You know, when we're looking for the Savior, it affects a couple of things. The first thing that it affects, it affects our hope. Now, hope is not like, uh, I hope I'm getting a new bicycle for Christmas, or I hope my wife is making fried chicken for lunch today. That's not happening, but I can hope for it. The biblical definition of the word hope, if you looked at it from a biblical standpoint, the word hope means belief with expectation. It means that I believe in something and I'm expecting it to happen. I think about all the things that I hoped for at Christmas. (laughs) Dustin, put your seatbelt on. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it's funny. So we're going to go ahead and tell it. There was a, they were doing, these, these couple had these two twins. And you would think twins would be exactly alike. They were identical twins, but one of them was so negative. Everything in his life was bad. Just a little guy, and he was already super negative. Well, the other little twin was the complete opposite. He was hyper excited about everything. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. So they tried this little trick at Christmas one year. They had a list of everything that the two boys wanted, and The one little boy, they bought everything that was on his list. The little negative boy. The positive boy, they put a big pile of horse manure. That's the part I know you're not going to like, but big pile of horse manure out in the garage. So the one little boy starts opening up his presents and everything he opened up. This is the wrong color. This is not the one I wanted. 
I wanted a different game. He wasn't happy with anything that they got him, and it was exactly what he asked for on his list. He was just negative about everything. To the other little boy, he's just watching, and he hadn't got a gift yet because he didn't have anything under the tree. And he's just kind of looking around, and he's excited, but he doesn't know, you know, he keeps commenting, hey, that's nice, that's neat, I like that. And, and finally, he, they said, okay, well, we got your present. All right, where's it at? They said, it's out in the garage. So they open up the garage, and as soon as he looks out the door, he just runs and dives right in the middle of the pile. And he starts throwing it up in the air, screaming and hollering. He's so excited. They said, what's wrong with you? He said, with this much horse manure, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) Now that is belief with expectation. And when we have that kind of hope, when we believe and we know in our hearts and in our souls that Jesus is coming back, then these trivial things of life that catch us up, all of a sudden don't seem to matter as much anymore. It affects our hope. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. When your life gets difficult, when you don't think you can go any further, you think about the fact that Jesus is coming back someday. We have a hope that a lost world doesn't have. Let me tell you something. If you're in here this morning and you know who you are and there's certainly someone in here that if you died right now, you're not sure that you're going to heaven. Let me tell you something. You're missing out on a hope that you could never understand, you could never comprehend until you participate in that salvation experience and put your trust in Christ. Because it, when you look for a returning Savior, it affects your hope. It affects your, it affects your holiness. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? and all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Let me tell you something. Your life will be affected. Your holiness, how you live, how you treat your neighbor, how you conduct yourself, your conversation, your attitude, your daily walk will be affected if you wake up every morning and you ask yourself the question, what if it were today? How would it change your life if you lived every day like Jesus was coming back this evening? What if you lived every single day of your life like at dawn in the morning Jesus would be here? It would affect your walk, wouldn't it? See, when we have, when we're looking for that blessed, glorious return of our Savior, it affects our hope, and it certainly affects our holiness. Now, this is a motivational thing. When you're looking for that Savior, it affects you, it moves you. And what happens is when we begin to be motivated and it begins to put us in motion, it's going to cause us to invest in some things. Now, investments are an interesting thing. The whole purpose of an investment is you are paying for something, you're giving your money towards something, and hopes for a return down the road. Doesn't always come immediately. It's not always right there. It's not always right in front of us. Sometimes it's a little further down the road. Verses 33 and 34 of this, this 
this verse right here says, Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourself bags which wax not old, treasures in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you investing in this morning? You know, in this living a life more enriched, we should be looking for some things. We should be looking for the return of the Savior. The I in this would be investing. What are you investing your life in? Because, see, when we're looking for the Savior's return, it affects what we invest in. But, you know, I, I, I see people, I watch, you know, we all look at Facebook, and I've been accused of being a creeper. I don't know what that means, but I thought that's what you were supposed to do is go on Facebook and look at stuff, right? But we see what's important to people based on what they put on, a lot of times, based on what they put on Facebook. You know, when we invest in things that, that are important to us, that mean something to us. I invest a lot of time, or I have invested a lot of time in my children. I can't think of anything that, that, that my wife and my three kids mean as much to me as anything in the world. But let me tell you what happens. I invested years and time and t sweat and tears in my children. And I want to stand up here and brag to you about how, my three, how great my three kids are, but they're not as great to you as they are to me. I understand that. and I know you don't think they're perfect, even though I do. But here's what happens. Let's take my son, for example. He's laid out this morning. He heard I was preaching. No, he's sick. I'm just kidding. Man, he, he's the best friend I got. Besides my wife. I'm not, she's my wife. But as far as just a buddy. He's the best friend I got in the whole world. Every, I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many sessions of Sports Center that he sit beside me and watched. I, we've never missed uh, an important Alabama game. There's been a few. I mean, we didn't watch Kent State yesterday. <laughs> but for right beside me, one of those double recliners at our house, and he sits on one side, and I sit on the other. We know which side's which. And we argue about things and fuss about things, but I've invested so much. Do you know what he did to me? He met this girl. Yeah. And one day, he come in. Yeah. He loaded up all his stuff, put it in his truck, went down to the loft and had some kind of little ceremony. He didn't come back. He's just gone like it was nothing. See you, Dad. I've been married 26 years in a couple of days on the 28th. Got a great wife. But you know what? She could leave tomorrow. Probably wouldn't blame her if she did, but I don't think she's going to. I, you guys have all heard me say before, uh, we wanted to get a divorce a long time ago, but neither one of us wanted the kids, so we just had to stay together. <laughs> Our youngest is 16, so in two years we get to reevaluate this thing. <laughs> Marriage class starting in October. Brother Dole put me at the top of the list. After that comment, I'm going to need it. Here's the thing. We invest in things that are temporal. They go away. You know, some of you in here this morning, the most important thing to you 
is the next promotion at your job. It's the most important thing you've got going on. Your whole life is wrapped around taking that next step on the rung of that ladder. Trying to, trying to move up a little bit more on that rung of success, on that ladder of success. And there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve things in your life. Some, some of us are consumed with a, with, with a house. My wife and I just bought a house and remodeled it, and, and it was such a big deal. And now that I'm done, I, I just, I'm really not done, but you know what I mean, done. We're moved in. And, and it's almost disappointing. I like it. I like the house. I'm glad we're there, but, you know, it's just a house. You know what happens to houses? It's terrible. It's way too soon. They burn down. It didn't burn down or I wouldn't have said that. They rot. They get destroyed. That car that you spent your whole life, that dream car that you spent your whole life uh, saving for to get, it rusts, it wears out, it tears up. Money's lost. Jobs are lost. Unfortunately, marriages at times dissolve. Your kids get married and they move off on you and they start their own lives and they don't need you anymore. Except when they need to borrow some money. And we invest in things. Our investments are so often in these temporal things. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for, yourself treas- lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. First Timothy 4, 8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. That's my life verse, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life that is now, and of that which is to come. What are you investing in this morning? You see... I'm very thankful for this. But if you're a Christian this morning, I think there's a misconception about the judgment and how that's going to go for us. I think a lot of people in their mind, they have this idea that we're going to go in and there's going to be a big giant screen there and they're going to play our whole life on that giant screen. I hope I'm right about this. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Because I'm in trouble if they do. That's going to be a bad... I'm not going to enjoy that time very much. You see, if you put your trust in Christ and you've been saved, your sin debt was paid for and it was dealt with. And the Bible talks about how that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west and that God will remember them no more. And if he doesn't remember them anymore, they're certainly not going to be brought back up to you at some judgment at the end of life. But let me tell you what you will be judged for in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It talks about how that, that we will be, our works will be brought manifest. The things that we have done the work that we have put in. Why do you do what you do? Why do you invest in what you invest in? Why do you make the things that are important to you so important? Those things will be brought manifest. And the question will be answered whether or not your work is is wood, hay, and stubble, or gold and silver. And from that is where we have the opportunity to offer our rewards back to Christ what will you have to offer him? What are you investing in this morning? 
I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night or a few months ago on a Wednesday night. I had this big, long rope. Rope stretched all the way out that door. There was a little red part down at the end of that rope. And that's a timeline of our lives. See, we're eternal beings, and we're going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or hell. And, and when we die, and hopefully everybody here goes to heaven, you see the things that we've invested in here on earth and the things that we've done here on earth will dictate what that eternity is like. That's why it's so vital. That's why it's so important that we're investing in the right things. Because, you see, that big long rope, there was a little piece on the end that had some red tape on it, and that represented our life here on earth. 70, 80, 90 years if you're fortunate. And it's amazing how we get so caught up down here on this end part and how everything's got to go exactly right so that at the end of this red tape, we can, you know, buy a camper and go uh, on vacation and, and drive around to Yellowstone and, and, and the Grand Canyon. and Really? I'm not against retirement. I'm for retirement. I think it's a great thing. I look forward to it. But you live your whole life for that last 20 years and you forget the eternity that's just on the other side of it. What are you investing in this morning that affects eternity, that makes a difference in somebody's life for eternity? Have you considered that? Because let me tell you something. As much as I love my children... Their sports is not going to change eternity. Now, my kids played sports, and it was a big deal, and we loved it. And, but it's not going to have any effect on eternity. Matter of fact, they're all done now, and nobody cares anymore. I told a story about uh, um, the state championship. I, I thought that was the biggest thing in the whole world when I was 16 years old, 17 years old. I remember the day I got my state championship ring. I thought, man, you can bet no girl's ever getting this. And they never did. But guess what? It's lost. It's gone. I don't even know where it's at. I could not. I mean, when I say it's lost, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that it's in a box somewhere at my house. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. And it's crazy how the things that are so important at one point in our life, years later, we look back on them and they really don't matter. But let me tell you something. You can invest your life in something this morning that will have an effect on eternity. What are you investing in? Do you want a life that's more enriched this morning? Then my encouragement to you is look for that return of the Savior. Invest in some things that are eternal. But here's the thing about investments. So often we have good intentions about our investments. We have a, a plan. We're going to invest. And what happens is we'll oftentimes we'll go too far one way or the other. We'll be too conservative with our investments and there's really no return on them. Or we'll go really aggressive on our investments and, 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 and eventually we fizzle out and lose what we had. Well, oftentimes we do that in service. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore the, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. But unto every one of us is given, this verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we're talking about this morning how to live a life more enriched. 
looking for the return of the Savior, investing in some things that are eternal. But you know what? In those investments, we want to be F in life. We want them to be fulfilling. You see, God has a plan and He has a purpose and He has something that He wants you to do in your life. And if you find what that gift is, if you plug into that thing and you allow God to work through you, then, then you can be fulfilled. Now, I'll give you a great example. There's, I love these guys up here and these musicians and Jalen. I'm so envious of him. He'll be singing sometimes, and when I'm sitting back there with my wife, I, I, last week I elbowed her. I said, man, that guy's something else, isn't he? Because I really envy that. I come from a family that uh, uh, is very musical, and, and everybody in my family can sing and play instruments, and, and except me, uh, that skipped me. I, I, got, I got left out of that part of the gene pool, and I'm not sure why that was. And so, therefore, I really love it, and I like it. And, but you know what? That's not my gift. So, therefore... I find another place that I can work, that God can use me, and I can be effective and be fulfilled with that. Here's what happens to us. A lot of times, we'll get involved in what we want to get involved in, rather than what God has gifted us to get involved in. Or, we'll get involved in what we feel like is safe, and where we're comfortable Hey, I can do this once a month, and then that's all I can do, and I can get my little ticket punched, and I can say, I served. Where God really has something a little bit more intense, a little bit more involved, takes a little bit more investment from you. Ask yourself the question, are you being fulfilled this morning in the way that you're serving the Lord? Or are you just getting your ticket punched? You're just coming in and punching the clock like you do at work. Hey, here's the thing. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're not doing anything. You just show up on Sunday morning, you give Jesus a praise clap, you sing some songs, you endure what you're having to endure right now, and you slide out the back door, and you can uh, check in on Facebook, Temple Baptist Church. Woohoo! And you think to yourself, well, this big church, they don't need me. Yes, we do. Because the more, the more, I'm a staff member here at the church, and the more volunteers we have, the less I have to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dustin just passed out over there. <laughs> Are you being fulfilled in your investment? You know, the Bible talks about we all have, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about what our purpose in life is, what it is that God planned for all of us. And you know what, really, from a general standpoint, it's all the same, that we be in the image of His Son, that we be like Jesus. But besides that, He gave us some special, unique talents that we're good at, that we're better at. Some people are better at other things than other people are. Find out what that thing is and get involved and invest in that. Listen, next week we have foundations class. Some of you are here and you say, and listen, I heard this from a very prominent person in my life. <laughs> I'm not going to even tell you who it is. He said, I don't need to go to no class learn how to be a church member. I've been to church all my life. I said, yeah, I know, but, but there's just some things about this class that, you know, I'm not doing it. Hey, how about doing it just because preacher wants you to do it, if for no other reason? And then when you go to foundations, if you haven't been yet, then you take this gifts test, and you can maybe see where you could excel, 
where you could be used. You can meet the staff members and see the different ministries, and there may be something that you haven't even considered. But you know what? It's really, it's not about pumping up Temple Baptist Church. And I love Temple Baptist Church. This my, I've been here since day one in the Civic Center. I love this church. But you know what? It's not about this. It's about you living a life that's motivated by the return of the Savior. It's about you investing in something that's much bigger than you, that's eternal. And it's about you being fulfilled in that investment. And getting the most out of what God has for your life. Sometimes it's going to require you to step outside of what's comfortable for you. You think it's comfortable, but when you step outside of it, guess what you get? You get a measure of grace that will help you when you get outside of that comfort zone. Do you think when Paul gave a description of what all he had been through in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the beatings and the shipwrecks, and he said he got shipwrecked three times. I'm telling you right now, second time I get shipwrecked, I'm never getting back on a ship again. That's it. I mean, I've never been in a plane crash, but if, I ever, if I'm ever in one plane crash, I'm never going again. Think about that. You're probably not going again anyway. But. When Paul gave a description of all the things that he had been through and all the difficulties that he had faced, the next chapter he talks about the thorn in the flesh and the difficulty that he had with just getting by. And he asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh, and God told him no. You know what he said? He said, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh. He said, but my grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's exactly what you need. You see, some of you sit here this morning and you fear getting involved in certain areas because you just don't feel like that, that's that you'll fit in there or that you can do that. So you hold back and God has a special amount of grace just for you. You know what? I'm joining the choir because maybe I'll get that grace. And I've been wanting to do that. I'm, just, I'm not, Jay. I'm just kidding. I don't know what it is that God has for you, but there's somebody that's sitting here this morning and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Holy Spirit's tapping on your shoulder right now, and he's saying, hey, hey, he's talking to you. All you do is sit in a chair, and I, I cannot stress to you, it's not about you doing more for Temple Baptist Church. It's about you getting involved and doing something for the Lord because you're the one that will be fulfilled from it. How many times have you ever gone, uh, we, we have a, 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 a Pure Religion Outreach program here, and we, have, we call them pro days. And we'll go and do things for people in the community, elderly, shut-ins. And you know what's funny? We, we always have the intention that we're going to go and try to be a blessing to someone. And the stories are always the same from the guys that work. They go and they paint somebody's house or they clean up their yard or they, whatever the chore or job may be, build a ramp. And they always are the ones that get the blessing. You know, go get a case of apples and go to the local nursing home and just walk around room to room, pass those apples out, and have prayer with those people and just talk to them because you want to go there and be a blessing to them. I dare you. Because you know what will happen? You'll be the one that gets blessed. And that's what service is about. You see, when we live a life that is more enriched, we are, it's because we are fulfilled through the service and through the things that we're doing for the Lord. We're not, we're not and, and the thing about it is, we're not just investing. We're not just coming up here and working. We're working in a specific area that God has just for us. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about a life more enriched.
We're talking about looking for the Savior's return. We're talking about investing in something that's eternal. We're talking about being, a fi- being fulfilled with effectiveness in our service. And you know what the last thing about a life more enriched? The E is for enjoy. Verse 43 in Luke chapter 12 says, Blessed is that servant. You know what? I really believe John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but, to for, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. First John 1 John 1.3 and 4 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. John fifteen eleven says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8 says, The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at that, how it all comes together. Verse 8 says, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom that now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Can I tell you something this morning? It's important to God that we have some enjoyment in our life. Those are wonderful things. You know what? Think about the concept of love. And what an enjoyable thing that is. To find a special person that you can spend the rest of your life with, that you can laugh at the same things, enjoy the same things, love one another. God created that. Isn't that a great thing? And then, hopefully, you have some little babies, some children, you enjoy them. What a great thing children are. You see the enjoyment that is? Those are all things. And I'm looking forward to, and I don't know if I've seen my son-in-law this morning. My daughter may be working. She's a nurse, but hopefully she'll watch this. And, and, and I'm looking for that next thing, that enjoyment of some grandbabies. You know what? Those are all things that God created. God's created a lot of things that we can enjoy. I mean, you know God had a sense of humor. He created a giraffe. Life doesn't have to be a drudgery. God doesn't want you dragging through life, suffering for Jesus. Come hang out with me for a while. I promise you, you can enjoy life. For those, most of you know my story and know my testimony. I spent 67 months in federal prison. I laughed every day (laughs) about something. I know that sounds crazy. But every day I found enjoyment and I laughed in most of it was because my relationship with the Lord was better there than it had ever been in my life. There was enjoyment in my Christian walk. Now, there's a, if I had to sum this all up this morning, I want you to know something. If we look for the return of the Lord, it'll cause us to invest in the work of the Lord and participate in fulfilling the plan of the Lord and bring enjoyment from the Lord. But with that, there's something I would want you to do. I'd want you to be motivated to move with an effectiveness in your movement that results in life enrichment. I want you to take an inventory of your life this morning. I want you to look at where you're at. I want you to think about what makes you get up in the morning. 
what motivates you, what moves you. And if it's not on the right things, I'm just asking you to change that, to make an adjustment about that. Because if you do that, it's going to change what you invest in. And if you're motivated this morning, you're making some investments, then the next thing I'd ask you to do is maybe just take an inventory about the fulfillment of that. Are you where God wants you? Are you doing what He wants you to do? Have you really taken inventory of your service and what you're doing for the Lord? And you know what? Some of you this, this morning, you just need to decide that you're going to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to, ha to, to be happy, to be full of joy. Now, here's the problem for some of you. In a crowd this size, there are some of you that there's never been a time in your life where you come to grips with the fact that you were a sinner. And as a result of that sin, you're separated from the Lord. The only way that, that you can be joined back to God is for that sin to be dealt with. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There's a price tag on your sin, and it requires death. And that death is an eternal separation from God in a real, literal hell. So the, here you sit this morning, and you don't have any concept of a life enriched because you've never dealt with that sin that separates you from God. And right now, you're responsible for the price tag of your sin. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he paid that sin debt for you. There's a little, little chorus that says, I owed a debt I could not pay. And he paid a debt he did not owe. You see, Jesus paid that debt for you. And the only requirement for you is for you to trust in that work that Christ did on Calvary to pay that sin debt for you. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced that, you've never put your trust in Christ, you've never accepted Him, then i got bad news for you. You're never really going to be able to live a life that's enriched. The first thing that you need to do is come down to this altar and meet one of these altar workers and get that settled. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Where are you this morning? Where are you?